Money can be the reason that you get to say yes to the things that matter to you most. Welcome to Exploring Mind and Body with Drew Tadia. Drew is an expert in nutrition, fitness, lifestyle, and more. And he wants to help you live a healthier, longer, and more active life. Now here's your host, Drew Tadia. Welcome to another edition of Nationally Syndicated, Exploring Mind and Body. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for tuning in and being a part of our True Form Life community. We're coming at you with a brand new show. We appreciate whether you're listening on terrestrial radio across the country or as a podcast around the world. We certainly wouldn't be here without you. So stick around. We got all that coming up. This is Exploring Mind and Body. Naturally improve your lifestyle one show at a time with your host, Drew Tadia. Welcome to another edition of Nationally Syndicated, Exploring Mind and Body. We are excited to have a brand new guest. So without further ado, welcome to the show, Hannah. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. It's our pleasure. All right, let's jump into it. Tell us about who you are, what you do, so our audience gets a chance to learn about you from your own perspective. Yeah, so I am a business and financial educator. Um, For the last five years, I've been helping entrepreneurs grow and scale small businesses um, but really, my the focus of my work has always been about helping everyday leaders be well-resourced in their work, because when we're well-resourced, we can do great things. And so that has evolved into a lot of wealth building work and financial literacy. How did you get into that? I, that's a great question. I spent a long time um, teaching yoga and facilitating workshops and running leadership trainings in Bali. And in a lot of those spaces, um, you know, at the time I was in my 20s, I had no money. I would, you know, travel. I remember traveling for over six months um, in India and Indonesia on like a thousand dollars. You know, just it was a lot of struggle. And I remember when I was in Bali, I, I did that for about three years, four years, I think. Um, I was running these women's leadership trainings, and I remember at one point looking around and seeing all of these women who are already in leadership roles in their communities, already in leadership roles in their families, in their professions, and thinking they don't need leadership skills, they need resources. And that was a turning point for me. I, I was at a point in my life where I was sick of being broke. I was sick of constantly struggling. I was really exhausted and challenged by the narrative that to be of service, um, that you should s- struggle and you should go without and, and suffering was necessary. Um, I think that, you know, there's enough suffering as it is. So it, I just, my perspective started to shift about, um, and I started to get curious about how we resource ourselves, how we give ourselves our, our vision, our skills and our gifts, you know, the best shot at creating an impact, at creating change, at building the world we want to see. Um, and then I started a business. And so you were, I feel like a lot of people are like, okay, so many entrepreneurs, I can start a business and and be successful. I have no idea the struggle involved. So for you and you're like, okay, I'm tired of being broke and worrying Mm -hmm. how I'm going to pay my bills. You started a business, but how did you transition into that? 
Um, I had a lot of odd jobs, side jobs. I like walked people's dogs. I picked up banquet catering gigs. Um, I did house sitting. Uh, so a little bit of everything. And I always did that. I, I remember there was a time when I was, um, I was vegan and I was working in a steakhouse. <laughs> right? And I was, yeah. And I was selling <laughs> these like $60 dry aged steaks. Um, and it was this elevated service. And I remember people being so perplexed at how I could do that. But I saw it as, you know, as a way to support what I wanted to do. So it was challenging. I, I started very small and scrappy and so many skills. I, I was self-taught so many. Um, I, I had to be a generalist initially. I had to do everything. And um and so I started with, you know, with just doing coaching and, and I was using the skill sets that I had. And what I found was that a lot of my clients were coming to me and being like, how are you doing what you're doing? How are you making income doing that? And so I was, I was just sharing with them the things that were working for me and it kept it just kind of fell into my lap in terms of helping small, small business owners, um, grow and scale. And I was really good at it and I was getting a lot of traction and results. And it was definitely not something I, um, it wasn't a destination that I picked. It was kind of one that found me and, um, and I just stayed the course. I think as entrepreneurs, the biggest measure of success is not giving up. <laughs> there were, there were a lot of times and that was very, it could have easily been, no, I'm complete. Yeah. <laughs> if you, as long as you're not, as long as you haven't given up, you haven't failed yet. I, I think so. Um, obviously, you know, you need to learn and, and refine and revise, but entrepreneurship is an incredible tool can be for change, for building wealth. Um, as somebody who doesn't have like a formal college education, I saw it as a way to be able to pay myself and support myself and my family in ways that no one else would. And it can be incredibly empowering. Um, and it's not easy. You said some of the things that you were doing were working and people are like, hey, what, what's happening? How are you able to do this? Mm -hmm. What are a few of those things? Um, the, the ways that I was marketing, connecting with people, communicating, um, I think my creativity, my hustle at that time, uh, I, I think I had the, the benefit of beginner's mind. I just wanted to know that it could work. So I didn't have kind of the um, restriction or the pressure of expectation because I had no, um, I had no proof that it could work, but I also had no proof that it couldn't. Yeah. You know what? I always think that I was the same way. I like that. I like that phrase of beginner's mindset. Because when I started, I didn't take any business courses or I didn't take one business course in university. I had no idea like what I was getting into. And I feel like if I, I kind of struggle with that a bit. I feel like if I did, I might be better off in some situations. But in other cases, I didn't know how small a percentage it is for a business to succeed or for you to be able to make it in the entrepreneur world. So. Mm -hmm. I think there was, I guess there's probably give and take to any situation, but I feel like that benefited me in the long run. Yeah. And in growth, there's only so much you can do in planning. And when we try to just plan our way out of making mistakes um, or experiencing, you know, pain or struggle, we don't actually spend a lot of time creating and all of the feedback is in, in motion, right? All of the data is in motion. So, you know, staying in motion, I feel like in so many ways I have failed my way into success success because I just kept getting back up, you know, like, like a cockroach. It was like, try me. <laughs> well, like I, I, I already knew struggle. I already knew challenge. You know, I grew up, we were on food stamps growing up. I, um, so I didn't feel like I had that much to lose. Where did you grow up? 
northern Wisconsin, the Schwamigan Bay of Lake Superior. So right on the Apostle Islands, a little town called Washburn. Um, it's like right in between Duluth, Minnesota and Upper Peninsula, Michigan. What happened yeah. to your accent? <laughs> well, I... Do you still live see. there? No, no. I'm in the Midwest now. I'm in Kansas City. I've been here since... Well, I moved here in 2005 and then I spent a little bit of time living on the East Coast and quite a bit of time traveling. So I, I imagine if I went back, it would come back very quickly. <laughs> I went to school in the in the Midwest and uh, I just interviewed someone who had like a traditional Minnesota accent. And I was like, you're from Minnesota, aren't you? <laughs> you could just tell right yeah. away, right? <laughs> yeah. So for, for you in specifically, who do you work with? Do you have someone that you are like a specific demographic that you can help? Yeah, I'm, I'm most passionate about helping women build tangible wealth. And so when I'm talking about when I say tangible wealth, I mean wealth in the sense of your net worth, in the sense of equity, assets, an investment portfolio, the kind of financial stability that creates opportunity, that creates optionality, that creates access. Um, and when you look at the statistics, the gender wealth gap is pretty dramatic. So, for example, for every $1 of wealth that my white male counterpart has, um, women across the board have the equivalent of $0.35. Cents. Um, and then with every layer of marginalization, that gets smaller. So, for example, for black women, it's a penny. And um, wealth is something that I grew up thinking was reserved for people who had dads who belonged to country clubs. Um, the world of mainstream finance is really jargony, can be really confusing, is not very welcoming if you don't fit a certain prototype. Um, I call it like the Vanguard guy because they always send me an email and it's got this banner image of like a guy with salt and pepper, you know, beard in a suit. And I'm like, I know so many people who just don't who look at that and like, is that's not me. And then when you look at the statistics, you see that reflected. Um, and women actually have an immense amount of financial power. We are, we hold the majority of purchasing power in our households. Um, we are better investors statistically. There are a lot of studies on this from, you know, everything from Fidelity to University of California, Berkeley. Uh, we're also better to lend to, and we tend to outlive our male counterparts. And most women um, in the later years in life often, or at least most women in heterosexual partnerships get um, a negative surprise at the end of the life because they've not been actively participating in the financial aspects of their household um, from the from the management side. And so we have an immense amount of financial power, but it's it often goes unacknowledged. And when your power is not acknowledged and when you're not encouraged to use that power or shown how to use that power, you start to see yourself as powerless. Um, and when we feel powerless, that can be really scary. And uh, and so my work is really, you know, my passion is um, helping to close that gender wealth gap. So when someone comes to you or like what kind of situation would someone come to you? I mean, I'm sure it's broad, but give, give us a generalization. Yeah. I mean, everything from, you know, what, what it started with was having clients who were entrepreneurs who were starting to make very good money and then feeling paralyzed and terrified and not knowing what to do with it and not feeling like they could trust themselves to manage it. Um, but I've also had um, individuals come to me who have $80,000 in debt um, 
or, you know, who have maybe the basics together, but are wanting to know how do I build and grow, um, or who are wanting to plan for retirement, or who are wanting to plan for a big purchase, or who are just wanting to begin investing. Um, and in the entrepreneurial space, often cash flow is kind of confused with wealth. So, you know, when I first started, it was like I, I had a lot of people who were bringing in a lot of cash. Um, and not realizing that that wasn't necessarily that money wasn't working for them just sitting in a savings account, right? Like if you have more than $250,000 in a savings account, not only is it, you know, depreciating because of inflation, especially right now, but it's actually not FDIC insured beyond $250,000. And with women, especially there, it's, it's somewhere around only like 30% of women are investing. Um, and investing is such a great way to build for your future or the future of your children. Um, you know, I think about it as giving gifts to, you know, Hannah, who's in her 60s. So when someone, okay, so someone comes to you, there, there are a number of different mm -hmm. scenarios. What's the first thing that you do? You sit down and you have to break yeah. down something, what's, whatever situation um, they're in? Well, I'm what I teach is financial intimacy versus financial literacy because humans aren't calculators. You know, if we were Excel spreadsheets, we would plug in the numbers and this would not be a conversation worthy of having on a podcast. But we are, we're complex and um, money for a lot of people is emotional. Um, it's psychological. Financial trauma is real. So we all have different experiences of money that shape the way we perceive money, the way we relate to it. Um, and, and when I say intimacy, a lot of people think about physical intimacy, but I'm talking about depth of relationship. So money is a value system and it's a relationship. It's something you're in relationship with and it should be reflective of that. So the first thing I do with people is we talk about vision, right? Like, what is your vision for your wealthy life? What does that look like? How do you want to feel in relationship to money? And when we can create that vision, and I'm not talking a vision where it's a yacht and six butlers. I'm, I'm just saying, how do you want money to support you? How do you want to feel in that relationship? What does that look like in the, in the immediate? What does it look like long term? And from there, we can identify where they are now that is not in alignment with that vision or not building toward that vision. So that, that first step is um, sometimes it's kind of a reckoning. You know, if somebody comes to me with, a lot of debt or a lot of avoidance it's really common and and it's and so there we cultivate um, emotional intimacy right safety transparency an understanding of desires and vision but also honesty about you know the patterns the narratives the habits that have been showing up that have been cre creating um, difficulty or challenge and then we move into intellectual intimacy where we're doing you know a financial analysis or audit. We are creating and learning systems together that will help support building that vision. Um, and then we move into experiential intimacy. What's the biggest struggle that you see? The biggest struggle, can you give me more context? Yeah, yeah, biggest struggle you see. So someone comes to you and is it overspending? Is it trying to figure mm -hmm. out how to make more money? Is there something specific that, that you see often with customers or clients coming your way? The biggest struggle I see is fear and avoidance. 
it's not actually, you know, because we have different, um, everyone has different kind of like when you look at if you've studied relationship attachment styles, everyone has a different way of relating to money. So some people's way um, and some people's lack of literacy or um, financial trauma will impact them in a way that causes them to overspend. Some people will translate that into not spending at all. But what is most challenging and most prevalent is not looking at the numbers and being detached from the process. And that creates um, that creates the most chaos for people, because when we don't look at something, uh, we tend to fear it more. It's like, I don't know if you have this, you know, maybe your partner has this when the lights are off and you see like the big kind of shadow in the corner, but you turn the light on and it's actually just clothes on the chair. <laughs> I have a closed chair. Um, <laughs> right. And and so awareness, clarity can create more safety, can create more direction and understanding. But when it's something that feels uh, complex or complicated, it's more common for people to avoid that. And when you avoid something, when you avoid looking at it or addressing it, often what it creates is more feelings of shame, more feelings of fear that aren't actually always reflective of the practical experience or how much money is in the bank. But that avoiding being in relationship, you know, if, if we are, in, if we're friends and uh, something happened, I did something, you didn't like it. And we just avoid talking about that, that, and, and it, and it was major, like it really bothered you. It impacted you. Continuing to pretend like it didn't happen doesn't help the situation. It actually only makes it worse, right? It creates resentment. It creates mistrust. Maybe it creates confusion. So avoidance is what I see as the biggest barrier for people in having a beautiful relationship with money. Okay. And how do they address that? Is that avoidance of paying taxes or where their debt's coming from or what's in the bank account? Yeah. How can that be addressed specifically? And it's it's multi-layered. For some people, that's an avoidance of looking at how much debt is actually there. Sometimes that's an avoidance of looking at actual spending habits and patterns and realizing that I didn't need to spend $38 on Postmates, right? Like I had food in the fridge and why am I doing that four times a week? Um, sometimes that's avoidance of having a conversation with your partner about what do we want for our future? What are we, what are we building? What are we growing? Um, hopefully it's not an avoidance of paying taxes. I haven't had anyone come to me that I, I have had people come to me, a, a lot of entrepreneurs who did not have systems in place and did not plan for paying taxes, but never anyone who's like committing tax fraud. Uh, that's not exactly my specialty. Um, but when, so, so what's most important is you know, understanding the behaviors that are happening, the impact that they're creating and and transparency, right? Like an honest look at what is at play, um, an honest look at what you want to build, an honest look at, you know, looking, actually looking at the numbers, right? That is an intimate experience. Actually looking at, at the financial triggers or behavioral patterns, um, actually looking at the stories. And, and then from there, you can course create, correct. So for example, if, if it's debt, then we're going to actually look at what, how much debt is there? Um, what of this is an immediate priority? Um, how much income is there? How can we, you know, what is the goal if you want to pay off the debt? And then how can we shift our systems? Um, you know, a money plan. Some people use the word budget. Some people hate that word, right? But how can we tell money how it can show up for us to help us reach this goal? So you, you mentioned systems a few times. Can you give mm -hmm. us an example of a system that you're talking about? Yeah. So 
So, for example, um, you know, for an entrepreneur, I call it like a cash flow management system. Um, personally, I have no problem with the word budget. I sit down and look at my finances a minimum of once a month. The end of every month, I look at, I do an analysis of what um, what I spent last month. And then I create a plan for, I use what's called a zero-based budget, where I tell every single dollar that is coming in exactly where it gets to go, right? Some of that goes to, and I automate those processes as well for certain things. So a certain amount goes to savings. A certain amount goes to um, my fixed living expenses, right? A certain amount goes to my investments. So that's a financial system. Automating your investments can be a financial system. Um, having an emergency fund or in business, I call it an operational buffer, right? So that when emergencies come up, there's actually something that's been put in place so that it's not like, oh, emergency. Now I can't show up for my goals. Now I'm a failure. What happened? I was doing so well. Oh no, I I planned for an emergency and knew that at some point the dog might eat a beach towel. (laughs) I hope that they don't, but I might, you know, they might, or I might get a flat tire. And now that, that that's been intentionally planned for. So it's, systems that help support you in moving toward the type of relationship you want to have with money and the type of future you want to build. And ultimately, money is a tool. And my hope is that money gets to be, at least for the people I work with, the reason they get to say yes to the things that matter to them most. So you talk about working with entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. It'd be a bit more so someone that gets a regular income, Mm -hmm. same paycheck every month. I'm sure you get this question. It's a bit more challenging as an entrepreneur because some day, some some months you get a whole bunch of money. Some months you get a little bit. Some yeah. months you're minus. <laughs> mm-hmm. I've seen it all. <laughs> yeah. So how are you automating in those situations? And cash flow fluctuation is really really normal for business for all business on every scale, not just small business owners, right? Like that's why there are quarterly projections. That's why there are budgets and all of that. Um, there there are a few different things I recommend. So I recommend what's what I call an operational buffer, which is three to six months of expenses, hopefully including your take home or or your desired salary that you have in the bank as this buffer for when there are fluctuations. And that's something you can work to build. Um, And the reason it's not an emergency fund is because cash flow fluctuation is something that happens, right? In business already, you know that happens. So it's not for emergencies. It's, It's a buffer. It's like... Um, one of my early bank accounts with U.S. Bank, they actually got in trouble for this. There was a settlement, but they were reordering people's purchases and charging them overdraft fees. Now, I'm I'm in my mid-30s, so this is quite some time ago, <laughs> but that happened. And at the time, I was like, why do I keep getting these overdraft fees? So what I did to make sure I didn't was make sure that I always that I never spent below a certain number. And that way they couldn't reorder it in a way where they could overdraft me. So operational buffer that helps, but also having a cash flow management system. So for most businesses, you have an idea of what your operating expenses are, or you should, and you can basically reverse engineer your income goals based on that, right? Like this is what I need to pay myself. This is what I need to pay maybe my team member. This, These are the systems I use or the software I'm using. Um, 
if you're brick and mortar or a product based business, maybe this is what we spend in product. So for every sale that comes in, you've planned ahead. And when you have an idea of how much things cost, then the questions you start to ask yourself are different because you're proactively planning. You know, traditional accounting or a traditional bookkeeper is just taking a historical record of what's already happened, but not strategically helping you plan to make your business profitable. So you can plan for profit and then you can have systems in place if you do not meet those goals. But your business model itself, right, your um, what you market, what you sell, what you promote, how you make money should be informed by what it costs to run your business and how you need to be compensated. And that should be premeditated so that you're not wondering, how does this work? (laughs) Right? (laughs) Why, why do I keep working all the time and and coming up short? So I I recommend reverse engineering that process and having an operational buffer in place. Um, You know, if it's a side hustle or, or, you know, something you're just getting off the ground, you can also take 50% of each sale to pay yourself and then 30% for taxes and then 20% back into the business. There are several different ways to manage this depending on the type of business you run. But having that in mind and when you start to think proactively, you ask yourself different questions. So if if we did the math and you're like, oh, I'm actually three thousand dollars short of what I what I need next month in order to continue to pay myself and operate at this level, then the question would be, how do we create an additional three thousand dollars instead of where did the money go? Um, That's fantastic. I I lost my train of thought there. I wanted to ask you how you work with individuals. Like do you work, you have, Mm -hmm. you have different packages. Do you work with them monthly? Um, Is it online? How can people work with you? Um, so I have a, a free wealth event. Um, it's October 17th, so it will probably have come to pass by the time that this is published called the Lead Wealth Summit. Um, and that's 17 speakers. So that's that's a free offering and a free resource that we put out every year just to have a range of conversations. Um, I have a course that won't be available until January. And that, um, it's called Millionaire in the Making, and that's really everything you need to create a million dollar net worth, um, regardless of your income. And that we, we move through all of the foundations there, including some foundations for small business owners. Okay, so in, in, yeah. are you taking clients? Like if someone wanted to reach out and say, hey, I want to start working with you now, do they need to wait till January or do you have options right away? Um, you're, you're welcome to reach out. I occasionally take on clients on an individual basis. I don't do a ton of that because... Um, there's only one of me, but I, if it's something that I can't do, I can definitely refer you to someone who can support you. So what are you doing otherwise? So Mm -hmm. you're not, so you, do you work with individual clients or you're full or is there a different way Um, you offer? So I work with individual clients, um, in, I do uh, business consulting. So I do that. And then I do, um, the millionaire in the making course. And then I'll have another course. That's more of a wealth strategy and more high level, you know, investing leverage tax strategy. Uh, that's further out that one. That'll be the first year that that's coming out. And then occasionally I do, um, direct consulting and financial education, but I do more, um, more free education than anything else. Right. Speaking, um, speaking in people's masterminds. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then I got to ask you, I see your dog running around back there. Did your dog eat a towel? <laughs> Actually growing up, uh, so I'm the oldest of four and I have a single mom. 
and who worked for Head Start, so school teacher salary. We had a dog. His name was Saber, a big, fluffy, long-haired German shepherd who ate a like an oversized beach towel. And had to get emergency surgery. Yeah. Oh my gosh. No, that's that's chicken. She's seven months old. She's a yellow lab. Yeah. <laughs> Her name is chicken. Her name is chicken. Yeah. <laughs> that is so cute. Yeah. And how did you come up with the name chicken? <laughs> um she was really small and I was holding her in my lap and we were on the way home. We had we got her from this uh farm rescue in Collins, Missouri, which is somewhere in the middle of Missouri. I have no idea. I, I went there and I have no idea. And I was holding her in my lap and um, she was just like this little nugget. And my mom called her chicken because she was kind of timid. And so it stuck. Yeah. <laughs> and we, had, we were going through like a list of all these names. And we were getting so creative and um, it just landed on chicken. It was chicken. <laughs> yeah. I like it. Hannah, is there anything that we missed that you wanted to share with our audience? Yeah. Just for everyone listening, regardless of where you are on your financial journey, regardless of your circumstances, your past mistakes, I want you to know that you have an immense amount of financial power and that if no one ever taught you how to use it, that it's not your fault, but it is your responsibility. And money can be the reason that you get to say yes to the things that matter to you most. I like it. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us today, Hannah. And do you want us to direct anyone to your website? Or did we yeah. already do that? Sure. I'm on Instagram at I am Hannah Koenig. And my website is hannah-koenig.com. Wonderful. And Thank you hi. so much for sharing so much light on this subject. We really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. All right, that's going to wrap things up for this edition of Exploring Mind and Body. Once again, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for tuning in and being a part of our True Form Life community. You can always find us on facebook.com slash trueformlife. We post up there a couple times a day on our story. We're always trying to bring you more content around living a healthy lifestyle, whether that be nutrition, fitness, lifestyle, and more. We also have free challenges that we do at least once a month. So if you follow us along there, you'll be able to join maybe a plank challenge or a squat challenge, Tabata challenge, whatever it may be. We'd love to have you join us. We're also on Instagram.com slash Drew Tadia. Again, we're posting up there a couple times a day along with our story, all dedicated to keeping you fit and healthy and on track. Our main website is trueformlife.com. If you want to check out some of our products, some of our services, or if you just want some great content from videos to blog posts and recipes and more, we got all that at trueformlife.com. Once again, thank you so much for being here. That's it. That's all I got. I'm out of here. As always, I'm your host, Drew Tadia, in health and fitness for a better world. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Exploring Mind and Body with True Form Life's Drew Tadia, fitness expert. To find out more about the show, Drew Tadia, or to listen to past shows, visit exploringmindandbody.com.